Hi, I'm Varun Haran. I'm senior editor with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure today of speaking with Brian McCann, who is the president of the security business unit at NetScout and also president of Arbor Networks and the Packet Flow Systems within NetScout, part of the NetScout portfolio. Brian is going to be speaking to us about the security landscape globally, what he's seeing from his vantage point. He's also going to be sharing some of his top concerns in security for the coming year. Thanks, Brian, for joining us. Okay, thanks. Good to be here. Brian, what are some of your biggest concerns in the security space globally? So Arbor Networks is a global leader in the DDoS application, distributed denial of service. And I think then a very hot topic across our customer base is this new memcache attack. It's a high volumetric attack, which has been reported to exceed over a terabit. We reported a 1.7 terabit attack into a U.S. service provider. This is something bigger than we've ever seen before across the industry. Arbor's been in the DDoS space now for over 17 years. Last year, we reported uh, a peak attack size of about 650 gigabits. Uh, the year before that was 800 gigabits from a volumetric perspective. And while it's been growing with IoT, this new memcache piece has completely exceeded anything that we have seen across the industry. Um, so volumetric attacks um, have gotten back to be of high profile with our customers and the press. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's it's really critical because essentially it's for availability of our customer networks. Service providers and enterprises need to be able to make sure that they have their availability of the network and volumetric attacks can take that out. What's different though is because of the issues that happened with volumetric attack two years ago when the Dyn network went out, um, most tier one service providers have put in effective DDoS visibility and mitigation so that something of this size can can be managed. And so the big difference now is these massive volumetric attacks can be handled with the right mitigation platform. Right. So we view these as a kind of a new attack vector. It's something that we're educating our customers to make sure that they're responding correctly. We have automation in place to be able to deal with these. So, so the bigger issue that we're seeing uh, are the complexity of attacks, multi-vector attacks, which is a combination of a volumetric attack, a stateful exhaustion attack, and an application layer attack. Um, this complexity is what we're seeing is actually having a bigger actual impact into the enterprise customers and the service provider networks, um, and where we've been putting a lot of our focus to be able to educate and build new technologies to be able to help in that area. Right. So it's not just about the volumetric nature of these attacks. I mean, uh, probably 1.7 terabits is not something that we should be fixating on, but it's also the complexity of how they're using different vectors to get at you. Yeah, I, I think what's, what's noteworthy of the volumetric attack is that the technologies are being weaponized at levels that are unprecedented, right? So IoT and the ability to have the Mirai virus be able to leverage IoT devices to be able to make multi-hundred gigabit attacks uh, means that we have to be prepared for volumetric attacks of all kinds. That, I think, is the bigger issue. Application layer attacks are actually the more stealthy, right? 48% of enterprises that we surveyed reported that their firewalls were basically um, left open uh, because of stateful-based attacks that took them out, right? So what we see is that now allows malware and other type of ransomware to be able to get into uh, an organization. So we built new types of functionality to have edge mitigation um, using a stateless technology in our products uh, to be able to protect and actually provide a layer of defense for the firewall so that um, state-based attacks do not have an impact into the firewall that's designed to protect it. 
You just mentioned the Memcache attack that happened with GitHub and the US service provider. That was 1.7 uh, terabits, right? But I think the focus has also been on how it hasn't really affected their business much. They were just down for about 10 minutes or so. So what's your take on that? Is there a flip side to that? Yeah. So I, I think referenced it earlier, but it's really important. When you have the right mitigation or DDoS visibility and mitigation solution in place, and particularly when there's automation enabled, um, you can manage something of that huge size very quickly and doesn't really have an impact on your business. Uh, you know, Arbor, because of our large deployment with the tier one service providers is a great example. The 1.7 terabit attack that we reported on did not have an impact on their business because they were able to respond immediately going forward. Um, we've, uh, we spent a lot of time educating our customers because, and similar to the Dyna attack, I think it's not a matter of just having DDoS protection. It's a matter of having the right solution and it being implemented correctly. Um, a lot of the industry suffers from not deploying best practices or not doing their own drills to be able to test is their mitigation solution being implemented and tested on a regular basis so you can have a fast response. You know, if, if I have a complaint from some of our customers is that their big volumetric attacks don't happen often, so they're not being tested. Uh, their teams are not being using those best practices to help them out. What would you say are some of the objectives behind these kinds of attacks? Because usually with a breach, you know that they're trying to exfiltrate data. But you mentioned something, you said these are smokescreen for other kinds of activities that are going on. So what is something that you can share in that space? Uh, so, I mean, political activism, you know, is always, you know, something that we look at. So, you know, we'd spend a lot of time. Uh, the elections and the Olympics are two examples where we see prime DDoS targets um, during the Olympic venues. Um, we see a lot of targeted attacks to be able to either minimize the effectiveness of the venue or to be able to target a particular election, to be able to sway results. Um, so those are you know different examples. We do a lot of work in DDoS mitigation for gaming companies. So gaming software. Um, and in that in that particular, it's about a competitive advantage for the individual gamers. Right. Because you can hire DDoS attacks now for five, ten dollars an hour um, very very effectively. And so to be able to win a game, um, which again from my experience this was new, but it is happening on a regular basis. So the gaming technology companies are very important targets because they're getting DDoSed every day at significant levels. So let's speak a bit more about the you know, analytics piece of this. Now, uh, Arbor is a security unit of NetScout, and obviously NetScout has a lot of this business intelligence from their network business over the years. Yep. So how are you integrating the two, and uh, how does it make sense? That's a great question. So NetScout's a billion-dollar company, um, and the, the, the primary basis of the business is service assurance. So packet data being used for service provider and enterprise applications. One thing that we see as a synergy with Arbor uh, is the ability to leverage the strength that we have in Arbor for north-south intelligence and our, our advanced traffic level analysis system where we have across the entire internet for what NetScout has inside the enterprise for east-west intelligence that sits inside, let's say, server-to-server -server communication or what in, sits inside the enterprise network itself. So as we get into more advanced traffic analysis, we have the ability to combine east-west intelligence with north-south to be able to correlate... Um, using our machine learning and behavioral analytics, not just signature-based analytics, to come up with a more comprehensive solution. 
Right. So how, how does this behavioral analytics piece work? How's how's it different from what's being done and why is it effective? Got Just it. to clarify, behavioral analytics in this context means behavior of the network, not of the individual endpoints. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, we're always looking at it from a network perspective. Yeah. So it's the what's happening with the relationships within the network itself. Um, and we can be able to build a baseline of what are common relationships. And then if there's a new communication between two points that are uh, not understood or not typical in the network, we can flag that as a potential behavioral change and then look is that where is that server where is it located correlate with north-south intelligence to say do we have a potential risk to be able to flag it for a deeper investigation talk to me a bit about what the trends are from your data in terms of the you know traffic trends that you're seeing from Arbor or from NetScout where are the attacks coming from what is the kind of nature of these attacks if you could maybe okay yeah so our um, our Atlas platform it looks at all of the traffic across uh, the entire internet uh, we see about one third of the world's internet uh, data and from that what we see is that you know a, a lot of DDoS activity in particular looking at what's interesting is a country like Brazil um, is one of the top four around the world as a target for DDoS activity. And while we saw this during the Rio Olympics as being kind of one example, um, it's happening on a regular basis because of the banking and because of the political circumstances. Uh, in terms of, of source-based data, um, our Atlas data is published. Um, we have a, a program with Google where we show some of our Atlas-based data. And large sources come from the United States, from China, uh, from North Korea, from Russia, in terms of you know, what's driving DDoS activity into particular targets. Yeah. But at any given day, uh, at any any given time that the patterns change dramatically depending on what the targets are. You said you see one third of the world's internet. That's basically your installed capacity across your customers. Right? Correct. Okay. So when you're looking at inbound data, now you're looking at uh, the availability part of the CIA triad in security. Right? Yep. So how do you feed back into the CNI, the confidentiality and the integrity part? Do you feed back intelligence into the SIEM platforms or to other solutions and service providers? How do you share that intelligence? So that, that intelligence to, um, today is incorporated inside the Atlas uh, platform for our, the Arbor use case, and the customers would then correlate within their own platform. So we don't have a, an open API for that today. Um, we are looking at being able to, to look at a new area. If you look at NetScout being a data company, NetScout's really a smart data company sitting inside an enterprise or a service provider or now what we have with Internet now with, with Arbor right. and being able to feed that in a more uh, uh, combined way that we haven't done before. But up to this point, we have not set up any standard standardized feeds going forward. So when you look at the security community and you have a large installed customer base with Arbor, right? What are some of the challenges that you see practitioners, security practitioners are facing? Or maybe what are some of the mistakes that they make that are very common? What recommendations can you provide? Uh, so we recently had a customer advisory board. So I'll just lever- leverage that as a specific example and with our, our recent survey. I think the number one issue security practitioners are finding, finding good talent, right? Can't find good talent with the right experience. So um, that puts pressure on companies like us to be able to offer more automation uh, and easier to use analytics so that an average practitioner can actually function like a more senior practitioner going forward. So being able to, to provide that automation 
automation. Um, and this is where uh, we acquired a machine learning company in Maryland um, to be able to augment a lot of what we're doing, to be able to provide greater intelligence in the platform itself, to allow existing security practitioners to be more effective, and uh, more recent people uh, in, the, in, the, in the practice to be able to have greater effectiveness. The network and the security teams traditionally do not work well together. Um, and actually combining the power of network knowledge with security and having the right tools and automation is one of the areas we see uh, as leverage for us and value add for that industry. So are you, in a sense, enabling the network team or are you providing the security team more network context or is it both? It's both. Um, I think the network team is interested in helping in the security areas and there's a lot of relevance. If you look at DDoS, it is a network security technology specifically. If you look at advanced traffic analytics sitting inside an enterprise, it's traditionally a security application, but they need packet data. Um, so the intention is to allow the security people to have more network intelligence in making their investigations and decisions and allowing the network operations people to flag security issues for those other teams to follow through in the SOC. We saw what happened last year with the Mirai DDoS volumetric attack, right? And that's going to increase going forward. So what's your take on how IoT threats like Mirai need to be dealt with? And what are some of the implications of these kind of attacks in the future? Uh, so uh, it's a big question. So I think um, one of the biggest issues is we're looking to make sure that um, the devices themselves are put in place with the ability to have some protections, right? So that they're not open, that they're not as vulnerable to IoT. Um, just like we're trying to fix some of the memcache issues across the industry that were not protected properly. The same thing with IoT. So I think having more intelligent IoT devices that have the ability to get some upgrades and to be able to have some protection mechanisms is one side, right? I think having increased visibility of what's going through the network where are the IoT devices? What are those traffic relationships? And when it deviates from its normal pattern, being able to, to create some red flags and be able to monitor to what's going on. One, one of the big issues that we see with some of our enterprise or large enterprise customers that have a lot of IoT devices inside them is they're concerned about their own devices going out and DDoSing inside their network as opposed to even just outside. So having that, that visibility inside the corporate network as well as from an internet perspective is really important. So thank you, Brian. Thank you for your time and your insight. Okay. Thank you. That was Brian McCann. He's president of NetScout and also president of Arbor and packet flow systems within NetScout. Uh, for ISMG in Asia, this is Varun Harun. Thanks for listening.